So John 18 is like a, this is a wild passage here. And um, we're going to hit on some heavy-duty stuff that's going to be really good. And, I mean, the title of the message is Betrayal. And so, uh, that's an issue. We're all somewhere on that continuum or that spectrum as far as betrayal goes. Either someone has betrayed us, or we have betrayed them. And uh, it's not the, necessarily maybe the most fun thing to talk about. Oh, it's not on? Sorry. Oh, yeah, we're good. It's just not loud. Hello, hello, hello. Um, but betrayal, it, that's, ah, man, that's a tough one, right? That's really difficult. Because you can pretty much guarantee we're going to be put in a situation, multiple situations, somewhere along the way, where someone's going to take advantage of a deal that we thought we had, and, like, it, it didn't happen, you know? Um, some movies that I watch sometimes that I have a hard time with are, are movies where, <laughs> this is a bad example, but it's just one that I think of right now. Um, I, I'm ashamed to admit it, but if, I, if you've watched a bad movie called Fast and the Furious, um, or you've watched other movies similar, maybe like, um, you know, Thomas Crown Affair, or like... Uh, entrapment, or, like, in all these movies, what happens basically is you have the character who is part of the FBI, or some intelligence agency, they get a job, they got to go in, act like they're one of the crew, and put the legal authorities in a position where they can then catch them and put them behind bars and put away the bad guys, Right? So usually what happens is I typically have a hard time with that is because if it's a pretty decent movie, what will happen is usually I, maybe you, sometimes end up rooting for the people they're going in to like catch. And you're like hoping by the end, oh, I hope they don't get them, you know. And they've done probably these awful things, you know, through the movie and whatever happened, but um, I don't know, it just sucks me in there. So it's hard because the whole essence of what's happening and developing is complete and total deceit, backstabbing, two-timing, betrayal. And, and by the end, I'm like, ah, yeah, I hope you don't get caught. You know? Um, probably the most famous American probably betrayer of all time is who? Benedict Arnold, Benedict Arnold right? Selling out his country. Um, and... Uh, a lot of times you have to look real far for betrayal. Um, and on a more personal note, you know, betrayal hits families and individuals real hard. Real hard. Um, when a child's innocence is taken, that's like the ultimate worst betrayal. Right? When a husband or wife goes out of bounds, it's bad betrayal. Right? There is a trust that was taken there at the altar. Um, when a trusted friend you just confided into, and then they put you on blast to somebody else intentionally, man, that one hurts. It's hard to recover sometimes from that stuff. And I would say probably that emotion of feeling betrayed, I'm, I'm, I have a hard time thinking of, of another emotion that carries with it just more weight and, and more strength and one that just seems just more defeating than any other one. 
when you've really like, made yourself vulnerable and opened up, and you feel like you're being betrayed, as far as negative emotions go, there, there's not another one that can really top that really well. That one's powerful. And that can lock us up for a long time, and maybe has locked you up for a little while. Um, so we'll be talking about some of that stuff today. And thankfully, we believe in and trust a Savior who knows a lot about betrayal. Intimately familiar with. And to me, it is absolutely amazing how he handled it. it it's incredible. And he set the model for how to do it. And some people would just say, well, he's Jesus, and that's how he handles it. He can't fail. He's Jesus. He, the Bible says he was tempted in every single way, so it says in Hebrews, in every way. So he's able to relate with us in our lives. So he absolutely had chances to fail. He just chose not to go that way. And that same spirit that empowered him then lives in the Christian. So hopefully when we read about Jesus, we don't say, well, that's just Jesus. Hopefully, I, I, it's my hope and my prayer that we get a little excited about it and say, wow, that's where my life is headed. Or depending upon your season, God's doing this with me right now. This is awesome. See, there shouldn't be a whole lot of difference between how Jesus lived and thought and acted and also in our lives. And we're all in different seasons, different stages. So I might say, oh man, my life's, you know, nothing like Jesus's. Fair enough. But hopefully next year it looks a little bit more like it. Hopefully in a couple months from now. So let's take a look at Jesus. Let's see what happened, what developed, and we'll bring out a couple of things. So John chapter 18. Last week, like I talked about when we started church, was really all about unity, unity, unity. So now we get the opposite. Chapter 18. It says, When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was an olive grove, and he and his disciples went into it, or a garden, and they went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. It's messed up, right? That was like home base for them. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to go betray him at home base. I know that's where he goes. Verse 3, so Judas came to the grove, or the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. So the detachment could be 200 to 600 people, estimated. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. So... Something based upon what Judas said made them think that Jesus was going to be a big-time threat. So they come bringing the big guns. Lots of people, lanterns, torches, and weapons. So they're ready for a fight. I don't know what Judas told them. Verse 4. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas, the traitor, was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Which is kind of crazy. Like, what happened there? Don't really know. It doesn't go into any detail at all. A lot of speculation. But the Bible doesn't really make it clear why would they start falling to the ground. I don't know. Verse 7, again he asked them, Who is it you want? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. So verse 8, you said, I told you that I am he. Jesus answered, And if you're looking for me, 
then let these men go. And this happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. So Jesus right at the very end is always looking out for his team. Saying, listen guys, this issue's not with them, it's with me. Let them go. You got me, I'm right here. Verse 10, son Simon Peter, there's our guy. Say Peter. That's our guy. Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. And I think he was going for a headshot. He's just got bad aim. The servant's name was Malchus. And Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Jesus like, what are you doing? And, and that's just a cool thing, just to think about and do a study on Malchus for a while. Like, he's got an interesting relationship with Jesus. His only, like, interaction was, like, to go get him, catch him, had his ear chopped off, and Jesus' last recorded miracle was to heal that guy. It's, it's crazy. It's pretty neat. It's worth a study. Verse 11. Oh, we just covered verse 11. Verse 12. Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him, brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it would be good if one man died for the people. There was basically uh, this guy Caiaphas. Um, they knew Jesus was a threat, and this guy Caiaphas um, kind of had an idea earlier on in the book of John um, that it was good that one person died instead of a whole bunch of people, and he was trying to think of a way to kind of squash this problem with Jesus. But verse 15, it's kind of a side issue. Verse 15, Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. So Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. The other disciples who were reading about, that's John. So you got Simon Peter, and you got John who wrote this. He's like talking of himself in the third person. It says, because this disciple himself was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter had to wait outside the door. The other disciple, that's John, who was known to the high priest, came back and spoke to the girl on duty there and brought Peter in. So he got him some kind of like uh, VIP access in there. Verse 17, you are not one of his disciples, are you? The girl at the door asked Peter. He replied, yes, I am. No, it's not what, it's not what, he, wanted. This is what he wanted to say, right? He replied, I am not. In verse 18, it was cold. And the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Verse 19, Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I've spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple, where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me, surely they know what I said. So it's kind of a pretty firm but yet assertive answer. Verse 22, when Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby struck him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded. That's just a no-no, huh? Verse 23, if I had said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. If I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Annas sent him, still bound, to Caiaphas, the high priest. Verse 25, as Simon Peter stood warming himself, he was asked, you are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. Ouch. 
One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him, didn't I see you with him in the olive grove? Again, Peter denied it, and at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Ay, 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 right? What a wild night. A couple things that stick out. So Jesus just spent all that time in the garden just praying. And it was an intense prayer time, so much so that it said that it was like drops of blood. He was just agonizing just in prayer. It's crazy. And then his disciples that are with him said, guys, you've got to stay and pray with me. Like the enemy's coming, he's making his move. You guys got to stand strong. And they fell asleep. Exactly. So he goes back. He goes, didn't I tell you guys to pray? He's like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and they get back up, uh, you know, fall back asleep again. It happens like three times. You know, they just can't quite make it happen. And then after the prayer, goes into the garden, home base, gets betrayed by Judas with a kiss, as it says in another gospel. Then they take him away. And Peter doesn't have his best day. Right? So a couple of things that I found interesting. So I got some thoughts here on this. Um, here's a that, that I know is that I think there's a betrayal of two kinds. Betrayal of two kinds. Sometimes people might think there's just like one type of betrayal. Just, hey, you betrayed me, you went against me, you stabbed me in the back, I thought we had a deal. The Bible paints a picture because you have Judas, right? Ever say Judas? Right? And then you have Peter, say Peter. Right? And, and really they both betray Jesus, right? They both too. But it, it's very different what's going on with both men. It's very different. So Judas, he had been warned time and time again by Jesus himself. Listen, you're not doing well. Inside of you is not right. And he like kept the purse and the money book and people knew that he helped himself to it. He had issues in his life that Jesus, I would maybe guess some others around him probably also knew, said, hey man, you got to get this right. Had no interest, no interest, no interest, no interest. No interest. Then, gives up Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, which, which is really not a lot of money. Maybe a few hundred bucks. It's, it's not even... Then you have Peter. He walked with Jesus knew Jesus, performed things like... I mean, he was the only one that got out of the boat. Water. It's pretty awesome to have on your resume. I mean, he did some very amazing things. He was always eager, right? Always eager to talk about what's coming next. God, what do you want us to do? And I'll do this, and I'll never leave you earlier on. And Jesus said, really? He goes... You're going to deny me three times, actually, before this night's over. No, I would never do that. Right? So you have, like, two types of betrayal. You have this one betrayal where you got this guy where God was giving warning signs after warning sign, warning sign along the way. And his fate turns out horribly. After this, he goes off, he throws the money back, and he kills himself. It's just sad. Really sad. Where Peter, on the other hand, he goes away, weeps for a while, and is pretty crushed. He knows what he's done. 
goes back to fishing. And then Jesus actually comes back and meets with him one-on-one, which we'll find later in the book of John we'll read about. And, man, they just hook up individually. And, man, that must have been special. Jesus doing his Jesus thing one-on-one. It's cool. But the betrayal that happens there between both men is, is like, radically different. One was premeditated on and warned against. The other one, spur the moment, just a bad day. One, I think, was just sorry he got caught. And honestly, I, I think that the enemy had his way with Judas and just drowned him in guilt, condemnation, and shame for what he did, so much so that he killed himself. Where there is something different in Peter, where you know that one had to be heavy on him. But there was something inside him that said, man, I'm not going to honor God anymore if I could just go and kill myself. So something very different there going on, the contrasting behaviors in this betrayal. And God had a way of grace and mercy and relationship with the heart that he knew was having a bad day. That was with him, man, for the most part, but that was just, oh, and talk about a, when to have a bad day. That was like the worst day to have the bad day. But Jesus was able to see past that and work with it because of a past history. And Judas, there was never anything there. So it was his way and what he wanted to do. So that's one thing that stuck out. It's very interesting to me, how that panned out. Here's the other thing that, that is interesting to me is that the surroundings that were happening here, they changed good intentions. Surroundings and context, they changed good intentions. Let me explain what I mean. Peter was the guy that said, I'll never leave you. I'll never do it. Ah, you will. I would die for you. And then he's in the garden with great boldness, Courage, tenacity, and aggression. Sword time. Like he didn't even wait. He's coming swinging. Really good intentions, right? He's doing it with good intentions. It's just misplaced. But now you change the scene. It's not in the garden, his home base. He's not with his Savior and kind of his friends his circle, his family. Now you change the situation. You put him where it's cold outside. You put him with foreigners, the people he doesn't know. And you put him in a situation where he's unsure. And then that great ambition, courage, and tenacity, and aggression is totally wiped out and changed based on the surroundings. So I sit there and I see that, oh, Lord, I pray, oh, God, develop me and make me a person to where my devotion to you is not dependent upon my circumstance. I mean, we got a lot in common with Peter. We strive to have more in common with Jesus, right? Hopefully our aggression, our good intentions and our, and our tenacity to want to be with Jesus will not radically 
changed given different people in a different situation. If anything, that's where our light can shine the brightest. Peter just learned that one the hard way. So here's the main thing, and then we're going to kind of close up with this idea. And I think I also have this. How am I doing with the notes? Am I staying fairly close to that there? No? Let's see. Two kinds of betrayal. Those are really the two guys. That's Judas. And that's Peter. What destroyed good intentions and strong ambition? It's the surroundings. It was the context. How does betrayal... I did pretty good. Come on. That was pretty good. Rebecca's taking a shot at me. That's all right. That's okay. How does betrayal lose its threat and its sting? This is the big one. Betrayal loses its threat because it has a threat to it, right? Right away, that will paralyze Threat of betrayal, the threat of it, the possibility, the potential, will automatically close some people down. Oh, I will not open up because I could be betrayed. Right there is where some people just drop the ball. Say, ah, no, no, no. I won't be, you know, stupid and get caught with that. And it's like, no, no, that's not self, self-conservation, self-promotion, self-protection. It doesn't rain really high in the Christian life. So betrayal loses its threat and its sting. So even if it happens, somebody puts themselves out there and it happens, there's a big time sting that can be with it. So betrayal loses its threat and its sting when value and forgiveness are pillars in our hearts. When value and forgiveness are pillars in our hearts. That's something we're really trying to just embrace and let God do a work in. So let me expand upon what I mean about that. Value. Here's what I mean by value. By value I mean heavenly empathy. Being empathetic. The ability to put ourselves in somebody else's shoes so that we can somehow try and understand what they're thinking and feeling and then come around and try and communicate like that or interact like that. It's a way to be able to see past maybe initially what's coming off of them, but heavenly empathy can like kind of buffer out the craziness kind of coming out and get in there and kind of uphold the heart. It's really hard to do. I wrote down, seeing others as lost and hurting makes us a little bit less hurt. So if we interact and we deal with people, if we understand that depending upon who we're dealing with and what's happening, Sometimes people are just having a really bad day and just really hurting for a gamut of reasons. If we actually believe that about a lot of people, it would really change our approach to talking to a lot of people. Where truth and it should still but honoring the person should also be at the same place. And of course, the trick is trying to make that work together. 
But seeing others as lost and hurting makes us less hurt. Jesus was able to see Peter this way. Jesus was able to see all of mankind this way. He saw Peter this way. He saw all of mankind this way. Jesus was able to see Peter's overestimation. Remember he said, I'm never going to leave you. I'm right here. I'm dying for you. These other guys, clowns. I'm telling you, we're together. Count on me. And I believe full-heartedly in his intention in his heart. As far as what he knew about himself, see him right on. Jesus knew it. Just, man, you're overestimating. Like, you're not as solid as you think you are. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you did not actually deny me three times. So the interesting thing, Jesus was able to see Peter's overestimation as having an innocent but dangerous blind spot. So he saw Peter's inability to really know who he was. He saw that as an innocent but dangerous blind spot. Instead of what most of us would probably look at it as, evil manipulation plotting to destroy Jesus. Because a lot of us be like, well, you said you're going to die for me. You said that you're with me. You said that I could count on you. Then why did you say all of that? Just so somehow you can make yourself look better in front of the crew and then just give me up? A lot of people could go that route. Because why would somebody say something so bold and something so committal? And you're just like, ah, that's dangerous that you're thinking that about yourself, but you're also not seeing really clear right now. So Jesus is able to look past that stuff because we know later on, go and get one-on-one time with Peter. And you know that his one-on-one time with Peter, Jesus. It's just not his nature, not his character. It's just not how he works. And after they met Peter, Peter was right back to Peter. Just a little more educated now about himself. So he came out refreshed. He came out better. So Jesus was able to see that value past the things coming out. Man, that's a difficult skill, but guys were called to that. We're called to see value, heavenly empathy, past maybe what we're receiving. To be able to sift through what's going on to get to the heart of the person. That means that we communicate in such a way to get our point across, but we do it in such a way to where we're trying to hold up the other person's heart. So we're like trying to address and what's going on to hold up their heart in a way that honors them, but also try and communicate what we need to say. It's really hard to do. Very, very difficult. But it's something I think we should be aware of and something we are working towards. Consciously working towards. So, betrayal is its threatening thing when we value, that's what we just talked about, and forgiveness. So here's the big deal. So forgiveness, like we're all somewhere on this continuum here, forgiveness, okay? This is a big deal. This is like, and this came up to, um, um, on Wednesday night um, during our group time, and uh, 
That was good talking about that for a while. That was good stuff. Um, but we have either needed forgiveness from somebody else um, or, you know, we have, like, needed to ask for forgiveness. Right? And I don't know how we handle that. But here's the way I kind of thought of it a little bit, was that forgiveness, unforgiveness, really, is like a collar. So you got a pet? Anybody got pets? Pets, pets, cats, dogs. Cats don't really count, but okay. Cats, dogs, um, whatever else you got. I'm just kidding. I grew up with cats. Come on. Um, now we got a little dutchy. But, so cats and dogs, right, they got this collar. And if you were to attach that to whatever, it, it's in there intentionally so that way they cannot move past a certain boundary. Right? And so that link in their chain is attached to their collar and it keeps them there so they can't move. And I think a lot of people, especially a lot of Christians, they know a lot about having this collar of unforgiveness and being attached by links in the chain. And they can't go real far because of it. And those links that are in that chain attached to that collar, those are things like anger. Those are things like bitterness. Those are things like resentment. Those are things like revenge. All of these issues make up that leash that connects that collar of unforgiveness. And we just get stuck. And I think that's probably a fairly accurate way to think about it. You can only just get so far. And in the Christian life, the entire cornerstone of Christianity is forgiveness. That's, that's the benchmark. The whole built on forgiveness. How are we looking more like Jesus? Well, with, but I'll tell you what, forgiveness is a huge mark of that. How do we handle that kind of thing? When we wrong somebody else or a wrong is done to us, what then happens? Um, I've done a couple of things to try and help with a working definition. What is forgiveness? And the reason why I'm talking about these things is because you'll find out later with Jesus, there's nothing written about how Jesus like struggled with everybody leaving him. He, struck, he didn't struggle with Judas. He didn't struggle with Peter. This was like not an issue. It was not an issue. That, that blows me away. I mean, when it comes down to things in life and you can't, on your, can't count on your closest, we could probably fill up about 40 chapters worth of how that's an issue. Jesus like, ah, that's just peripheral stuff. The enemy's just, no, we're heading this way. It's cool. So what is forgiveness? It's the choice to release the wrong done against us. It's the choice to release the wrong done against us. It means hitting the delete button instead of the replay button. So here's what it's not, though. Here's the other side. Forgiveness is not approving. It's not making excuses for somebody's behavior. Not justifying it. Not suppressing it. It's not acting like something didn't happen. 
Because a lot of times some, some of us know something about that. Ah, just act like it doesn't bother me. It just da, da, da. Or if you think if we forgive somebody, we're approving what they're doing or what they said. Catch this one. This one's very important. Forgiveness doesn't necessarily automatically mean reconciliation with somebody else. It may happen, and that's a gold mine when it does. When a brother and sister, or brother's brother, sister's sisters, they can come together, hash something out, man, and they just come out praying, maybe crying, hugging. Ah, bless you. It's beautiful. But it doesn't always work out that way. It just doesn't. And true forgiveness can happen that wrong done against us that gets released can still happen and reconciliation still not happen. Because it takes two for the reconciliation, it takes one for the forgiveness. So we had a really good question brought up in our, small, in our study on Wednesday. So how do we know if I've forgiven others? Because that's a pretty good question, right? How do I actually know if I'm even forgiving somebody? Because we can put ourselves in a place where we falsely think we've forgiven someone, but we really haven't. So it's like if we tolerate them, that's not the same as forgiveness. So in case maybe it's, it's a wrestling match in your mind as far as if you have or not. Because if you isolate yourself, you can pretty much convince yourself of anything. Um, you can convince yourself you're forgiven, you really haven't. So here's one way, or a couple ideas, um, to know if you've forgiven people or not. If we're waiting for an I'm sorry until we can move forward, we haven't forgiven them. If we're waiting for that I'm sorry apology thing before we can like, be released and then be engaged, this is powerful, right? It's like setting in thick right now. Holy Spirit, you're just amazing. Isn't it good? And he's working in your hearts and in your mind right now. I just know it. It's just happening. Please don't fight back on it. Allow God to do the work that he's got to do. It's only going to lead to freedom for you in the end. I'm telling you. So if we're waiting for an I'm sorry, <laughs> there's no guarantee that thing's happening or coming. And like we mentioned on Wednesday night, it even could be a crazy situation to where maybe somebody has wronged us or something has happened. And if that person who has done the wrong and something's happened and they like pass away or something happens, you're never getting the I'm sorry. Just might not even get that chance. So to put people on the hook for that, Jesus wasn't like, Peter, unless you say you're sorry, we cannot move forward here. Man, and if it's sounding silly in his mouth, I, it should sound really silly in our mouths too. Because we really, we've got to be on track for that. It's the calling in our life. So I know if I, how do I know if I've forgiven others? If I'm just waiting for an I'm sorry. Eh, that's like some other thing. That's not the one that Jesus was talking about. Um, some other things we mentioned on Wednesday. Eye contact. Usually if we can't like just connect and just look at people eyeball to eyeball, whoever it is. 
there's probably some kind of like little stirring issue going on there. I've noticed that if I really haven't forgiven somebody, I mean, I have a hard time just like looking at them eyeball to eyeball, just like carrying on. It couldn't even be about nothing. It could be about sports or like, you know, whatever. If I'm like, there's this thing, and I'm like, I'm so annoyed, but I'll just tolerate what I'm doing, right? Yeah, yeah, yep, yep, yeah. Really? Oh, cool, yep, yep. yep. So like, you do that thing, and that's just, just no. So personally, maybe that's you too, I don't know. Um, how do I for forgiving others? Right, the I'm sorry thing, waiting for that. Um, lack of eye contact. Um, an, an, an inability to pray with or pray for that individual. Pray with, I don't know, given the context, maybe there's an opportunity to, maybe there's not, don't know. But pray for, man, I hope that drives the whole forgiveness train. Because hopefully we're a group of people where we're not supremely concerned with being right. There's an ouch. (laughs) Right? Hopefully we're not supremely concerned with being right. We're supremely concerned with an understanding and hopefully a reconciliation. Sometimes in life we get those opportunities with people around. Sometimes we don't. And this stuff like hits deep. I mean, if, you know, a child was like touched and, and like taken advantage of in a wrong way at a young age and then something happens and they get older and life happens, you know, you might not get that chance, you know, see that person get an I'm sorry and But that damage that was done with that adult, with that kid, it only snowballs with a lack of unforgiveness. So the enemy wins two ways. And we definitely don't want to do that. Not into that. Because he ruined that situation in that moment, and then he can then that person locked in to all kinds of hatred and all kinds of other crazy things that will come out of their life. And Jesus will bring some freedom. And there's countless testimonies of people that just have some radical forgiveness stories. It's like, how could that even happen? In fact, it's so crazy that what people say is, they're totally making it up. It's not, you cannot forgive that. So people say, that's ridiculous. You can't forgive that. It's, it's too bad. It's too horrible. Later on in the book of Acts, Stephen himself, he wasn't even Jesus. Stephen, he wasn't even an apostle. He was the guy that worked in benevolence. He was the guy that handed out food, set up tables, prayed with people. He was getting stoned to death. His response was, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Talk about heavenly empathy and seeing value. And he wasn't even Jesus. He wasn't even an apostle. So we're called to be. I wrote down uh, dented Christians versus undented Christians with the idea that if we were driving, you know, we're driving home, getting out of here, doing whatever, somebody hits you, bam, you know, dent in the car. They got no insurance. That can be not a fun situation. Um... We have a choice. We could call up our insurance company, 
call some people, let's try and make something happen so we can fix our dent. The other option is to drive around with that dent. So we'd always be reminded of how treated unfairly. And then, every time we got mad, we could be justified by looking at that dent. They see I and they still. They got dents on their soul and they're like, I'm interested in bringing that thing to Jesus let him heal it. Oh, no, I'm not letting that. That is... It's suicide is what it is. It just kills us. It kills us. It robs us right from the inside. Take a look at Colossians 3. So we close up. Colossians uh, 3.13. Colossians 3.13. It says, Bear with each other, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's just some straight shooting. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. We don't have much of a choice in that. <laughs> he made the thing like, he made this window really tight. And again, it doesn't always mean reconciliation. We come out high-fiving on the other side. But we do know what's going on in our hearts. We are aware. And the Spirit certainly will make things aware to us. We'll start to sense it and see it. So here's my one closing thought. Try not to let security, safety, and closeness be the keys that unlocks our hearts towards God. That's a trap. It's a trap. The model set and the calling upon the believer's life. It's in the bulletin there. The model set and the calling upon the believer's life when living with others is for us to allow, that's that word there, the calling for us is to allow. This is an allowing issue. Holy Spirit is here. He's made a wage. He's paid the price. This is possible. So we need to allow him to let him do his work. Let him do the empowering. So it's for us to allow the Holy Spirit to develop value and forgiveness towards others. This heavenly value and this type of forgiveness we're talking about, it just doesn't, you can't manufacture it. It doesn't just happen. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to bring that thing out. Doesn't come out on our own. Just doesn't happen. So let's see if I got it all here. I think I got them all on here. That might be a first time. So, before we're going to close with the song.
And Eric, what we'll do is we'll, we'll do a Call Me Higher song, because that's kind of like the epitome of what we're talking about. Not to stay with walls built up and do this. I'll do that in a minute. And we'll do it softer, too. That way, you know, we can really worship and pray if we need. Um, so this brings to the surface a lot of things. And I think we'd be sorely mistaken not to invest some time in prayer about it, right, as a family. So let's do this. And um, so let's, let's bow our heads, close our eyes. Some people still have not even accepted the reconciliation through Jesus Christ. He's forgiven, right? We're forgiven through Jesus. Some people have never even accepted that. So they're still out of relationship with Jesus. So if you could uh, bow your heads and close your eyes, and if you have never accepted the forgiveness of sins that's found in Jesus Christ, you've just you've never given your life over to God. Um, this is not a prayer for people struggling, or if you have before, you're unsure. This is, this is just, you know for a fact, you have never said, I receive Jesus as my Savior and the forgiveness that only comes through Him. And I want to live my life now for God. If you've never done that, um, just look up. Uh, look up if you've never done that. And, you know, we could just pray for that now. And for those of us that just struggle with it on this forgiveness continuum, we can be held hostage. We can be held hostage with that collar on too easily. Holy Spirit, we pray for just a break and in our minds. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would make it clear to our hearts and our minds of one unforgiveness is just not happening. That you make it clear to us if it's too easy for us to hold on to a wrong done against us. We desperately want to follow the model of Jesus. And yes, Lord, sometimes we'll be taken advantage of. Sometimes people will even intentionally betray us. Holy Spirit, somehow make our hearts secure with that. For those wrestling with it, Father, I just pray that you just touch their hearts and their minds. You give them a desire to be close to you, Lord, and let you do the forming, God. It's not something we can do on our own. We have to give you the time and the space to let you do your work. And I pray that we would be in agreement with that and embrace that. You've called us to more. You've called us to more, Lord. Give us an ability to see people as you see them. Show truth and being right and loving people. Show each of us what that looks like for us. enough and others in our life to help us. We thank you, Jesus, for making a way for us to do things differently, to live a life 
is truly impossible and amazing. We just love you and just thank you for what you're doing. Continue to do the good work that you're doing in our lives. And I pray that we would allow you to do what you need to do. That might be tough truth from time to time. Like Jesus gave tough truth to Peter, but he just wasn't where he thought he was at. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, so we'll play this song, spend the time praying or singing, whatever you want to do.